Hey, Northridge family. I can't tell you how excited I am about this new year we have in front of us. In fact, as I was contemplating in the run-up to the new year, 2016, 2016, I realized it's the perfect year to emphasize our mission, 16 words. And so in 2016, we are going to do everything we can to keep the 16 words in front of us. You know, we want to wake the world up to Jesus and show them his love and tell them his truth and involve them. And so one of the first impacts you're going to see is we're actually going to change our service times. We're going to go from 5 o'clock on Saturday to 5.16 on Saturday night. We're going to go from 9 o'clock to 9.16 Sunday morning and 11 to 11.16 on Sunday morning. And it's just a way that we can always keep the 16 words in front of us. And so though the worst that can happen is that you would arrive a little bit early. We want you to know this begins January 16th and 17th of this year. And it starts with a series that I'm going to get into that's going to be dealing with the missional impact, the life impact that we can have as individual believers and as the Northridge Church family when we live out our 16 words. If you don't know what the 16 words are, well then come the weekend of January 16th and 17th when I start unfolding those into our lives again. But I hope that you'll be praying for it. I hope that you'll be coming and I hope that you'll be inviting others because this is going to be an amazing year where we wake the world up to Jesus. Yeah. How, how exciting is that? For some of you, uh, that means you get to sleep in 16 extra more minutes before you have to come to church. And for the rest of us, for those of us who have kids, uh, we're just going to do the exact same thing, but actually get to experience all the worship songs now instead of being late, rushing, feeling guilty for being running behind. But hey, we are so thankful that you're here. If you're in Brazil, good morning. Hey, family, glad you're there. Uh, my name is Colston, and I am the campus pastor out at uh, our regional campus in Brazil, and I'm also the community groups pastor here for Northridge. And I- I'm excited. I'm so thankful that you are here to start your new year off and you chose to do that at church. I commend you for that. You're batting a 1,000, and I know many of you are Tigers fans. You don't know what that means. Um, batting, you just have perfect attendance. You're doing well. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, we're excited because at the beginning of a new year, this is where we always talk about change, is it not? Uh, and Pastor Brad, I'm really, I'm truly, I'm excited about that series he's gonna be teaching uh, about the change, how living in the 16 words should truly change our lives. It's not just this pithy saying we put on T-shirts, but it should be woven into the fabrics of who we are. And I'm, I'm pumped for that series, so I hope you'll make it a, a priority to be here. But as we talk about change in the new years, many of you are setting resolutions, you're setting goals, you're working to achieve things. And I'll be honest with you, just transparent, and you're gonna hear a lot of transparency from me today. Um, I don't set goals. I, I, re, let me rephrase that. I don't set New Year's resolutions. I have goals, but I don't set resolutions. Mainly because after 30 years, I'm tired of being a failure. Um, I don't keep many of them, so I don't set them. It's a surefire way of not being a failure. <laughs> Just don't set them. But I can tell you this, in, in 30 years, one of the biggest changes of my life came when I said, I do. When I said yes to my wife, I had no idea what that meant. And I can tell you that after seven years of marriage, I am not necessarily the same person. 
I remember one of the, one of the very first things that just, this is gonna be different moments, you know, you've had those in your, in your life. Um, when you get married, one of the things that happens right before the wedding is you go and you register. They give you that sweet little gun, you know, and you walk around and you scan all this random kitchenware that you'll never use, and, but some random person that you've met twice will buy it for you. Awesome, okay? And so we were in one of those stores and we were registering for things and I grabbed the gun from my wife and I said, hey, Emily, help me find a fry daddy so that we can register for a fry daddy. And she gave me the same look. Most of you are like, uh, what's a fry daddy? Now, you have to understand, yeah, bewilderment, I understand. I grew up in the south, okay? I'm in the backwoods of East Texas. And there's something... Down south, we cook and we eat a certain way. Our stoves always have a can of bacon grease sitting there waiting to be used to add flavor to everything. We, we cook with a can of Crisco right next to the stove. Yeah, you're laughing at me. A fry daddy is just a personal deep fryer. So I grew up, the deep fryer was an essential part of your cookware. You... That's how we ate vegetables. My mom wanted us to eat vegetables. We deep fried vegetables. You're judging me. You don't know what you're missing. In Texas, we, the Texas State Fair, we are known for the things that we deep fry. The best way to eat Oreos, yep, deep fried. That's exactly right. You're missing, you're just missing out on life. I'm just throwing that out there. But so when we go to register for my wife, a deep fryer, in seven years of marriage, we have not deep fried one vegetable. I'm a changed man, I'm different. Living with my wife has definitely changed behaviors that I have, it's changed habits that I have, but at the core of who I am, living with my wife hasn't changed me, at the core of who I am. See, if we want 2016 to be the best year of our life, if we want this year to be different than any year previously, then you and I, we are gonna have to live in the truth that God is with us. If this year's gonna be different, we have to live in the truth that God is with us. And I know for some of you, you're here this morning, and this whole God with us thing, that's really personal, and you're not there yet. I, I, I get it, and I'm so thankful that you're here. I'm glad that you chose to worship, to show up, to check this thing out. But I know this to be true about your life. You can work really hard, you may be able to set some goals and some resolutions. You may be able to, to, to pursue, pursue some different behaviors, some behavior modifications, some different habits. But you don't have the power to change you at the soul level, at the core of who you are. I know you've tried. I, I, we all have at one point. We've tried to change us in the inside, in the depths of us, but we're unsuccessful because we don't have that power. When we live in the truth that God is with us, it changes everything. It changes all things. It changes the way, ultimately, it changes the way we see him. Living with God changes the way we see ourselves when we look in the mirror. We have a new identity. We have a new way of seeing us. Living with God every single day, it changes the way we see other people, the way we interact, the way we behave. At the core of who we are, it's changed when we live in the truth that God is with us. But many of you, like myself, are Christ followers. And we hear this, live with God. Yep, yep, done, got it. 
But God has been truly, honestly wrestling with me over this truth because I have found as I've looked back over my, my walk with, with Jesus, I don't always live here. I'd like to tell you that I get this right, but to be honest with you, I don't always do that. What I've found to be true in my life, and I think truly for many of us, is that we, not, we don't necessarily live with God, we live for him. And that sounds like super spiritual right up front, right? <laughs> I'm living for God, brother. I'm doing this for him, brother. It sounds awesome, right? Living for God, yeah, I'm living for him. But at the end of the day, God doesn't need us. And that's a harsh reality to accept sometimes. As we kick off this year, we're gonna do a quick heart test, okay? And thankfully, it has nothing to do with what you ate over the last two weeks, to, to different heart tests. I'm just gonna simply ask you a few questions, and I just want you to be honest with yourselves. Do you ever, do you ever take credit for something without giving proper acknowledgement that the credit really belongs to God? I know that in my own life, I crave the attention. I want the applause. I want the pat on the back. I want the good job, son. You're doing great. Keep at it. I want that. I long for that. I'm so sick sometimes. <laughs> I mess this up so many times. There's times where I do good things, not because I love God and love people, but I do good things, Christian things, so that other people take notice and they think I'm doing good. Anytime that we take credit for something that the credit doesn't belong to us, it's a sign. We're living for him, not with him. Do you ever get frustrated with God because he didn't answer your prayers? You know, you're just, uh, you're upset. You prayed and you begged God to do something and he's just simply said no. Just no. You ever tried to leverage your good works? to make God and manipulate him. God, you don't understand. I've been serving in that nursery for months, wiping rear ends and snotty noses. I've been kicked in the shin, and this is how you answer me, no? God, I've been faithful, I showed up, I gave money, I did all these things, and your answer is no? Anytime we feel we have the right to be angry at God and that he's in the wrong because he didn't do what we wanted him to do, there's a good chance we're not living with him. It's a sign. You ever, you ever put God on trial? Have you ever been hurt because he didn't rescue you out of a painful circumstance? God, I thought you loved me. God, I thought you were a loving God. How could you allow them? Why would you do this to me? God, we had this sweet gig worked out, man. I live for you and you do all the things I want you to do, right? If we ever start questioning the character of God, it's a sign that our hearts aren't in the right place, that we're not living with him, but we're living for him. You ever try to control the outcomes of situations? You ever try to manipulate the circumstances? And I know that if, man, there's been times in my life where I thought if I worked harder, put more hours in, I prayed the right prayers, I stopped sinning as much and didn't do bad things as much, that I could control the outcomes. Because at the end of the day, if I think I can control the outcomes, then the reality is I'm not living with him. And I wanna tell you this coming year, if things are gonna truly change, not just like you added some good behaviors and you stopped eating fried foods, not that you stopped drinking so much or you stopped cussing so much, those are all good things to work on. But if you want change, 
at the core of who you are, it's gonna come from living in the truth that God is with us. He promises us in Deuteronomy chapter 31. He makes this a beautiful promise. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord, your God, who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 13, verse five, he quotes this promise. At the end of the verse, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We must live in the truth and the reality that God is with us. Because when we do this, when we live in this truth, it changes everything. It changes us at the core, at the, the soul level of who we are. That changes the way we see God. It changes the way we see ourselves. And it changes the way we see each other. And what I wanna do in our time left this morning is I simply wanna walk through the life of Joseph. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're gonna look at Joseph and we're just gonna have to do a flyby uh, because it covers a lot of G the book of Genesis and we don't have time to do that. Even though I have 16 extra minutes, um, I'm not gonna, yeah, I tried, right? But what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the life of Joseph because he's a perfect example of what it looks like to live with God, to live in this truth. And so um, I, before we jump in, we're gonna be in Genesis 39. Before I get there, I wanna just give you a background, just a, a heads up. Joseph, uh, he has 10 older brothers. Uh, I couldn't fathom that. All I can think of if I had 10 older brothers is ouch. I had two and it was painful. But he was, he was born to his father. His father was Jacob. And uh, Jacob had loved Joseph. The Bible tells us that he loved Joseph more than he loved his other brothers. He gave him special gifts and special treatment was given to Joseph. And parents, just, um, just free advice, this is separate, um, to save you a lot of money and counseling later on in life. Um, if you have more than one kid, don't favor them. <laughs> don't give them special treatment, don't give them special gifts. It will not go well for you or them. So Joseph, he's hated by his brothers because of the special treatment that he gets. He's, his brothers are angered by him. He ultimately, God gives him a couple dreams. And these dreams, Joseph shares with his brothers and his family, and it just kindles more anger and more frustration. So much so that his brothers, they choose to sell him into slavery. Yeah, you heard that right. They sold their own brother into slavery. Your family problems aren't so bad, okay? His brothers sell him into slavery. And in chapter 39, this is Joseph's walking and he's coming into Egypt. And this is what it says, starting in verse one. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master uh, he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and made him overseer of his house. He put him in charge of all that he had. Verse, verse five, and from that time that he made him overseer in the house over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So Joseph's betrayed by his brothers. He's sold into slavery. He finds himself in Egypt and he goes to work for this guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar, Potiphar sees something very special in Joseph. Did you, did you notice what he saw? He saw that the Lord was with him. Do you notice that phrase in chapter, verse two? The, the Bible says that the Lord was what? With, come on now. 
the Lord was what? With. Then verse three, the Lord was with him. And it was noticeable to his boss, so much so that God chose to bless Joseph in the situation and the circumstances that he was in, and he put Joseph in charge of his entire house. Now, as a slave, that's a pretty big deal. He rises up in the ranks, and he's in charge of the entire house. Life for Joseph in the circumstance that he finds himself in are going pretty good, but all that's about to change. See, the Bible tells us that Joseph was a good-looking dude. Uh, He was easy on the eyes, you know what I mean? Good-looking guy. And his boss's wife had a thing for Joseph. She was attracted to him. And it says that he, she tried to seduce Joseph and, and have him lay with her. That means exactly what you think it means. She's trying to sleep with him. And Joseph refused time and time again until one day he comes to the house and no one's there except the boss's wife. The boss's wife is present and she's working really hard to get him into bed. And she works so hard to seduce him, to draw him into that temptation. She reaches out, she grabs him, and Joseph's reaction is run, get out of there. Another free piece of advice, if your boss's spouse wants you, run. It won't go well with you if you stay, that's free. So Joseph runs, and in the process of running, he leaves his coat, his outer garment. The wife, Potiphar's wife, hangs on to it, and the moment Potiphar comes home, she lies to her husband, saying that Joseph tried to rape her. Flip over to Genesis 39, starting in verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph. And he showed him steadfast love and gave him favor inside of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were there. Whatever was done, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Do you see those phrases there again? Who was with him? The Lord was. So Joseph's falsely accused of rape and is thrown into prison, and the Bible says that the Lord was with him. While he's there in prison, God blesses Joseph, and he ultimately is put in charge of all the prisoners. At every step of the way, God was with him. He didn't abandon him, didn't abandon him, didn't leave him alone. He was present, he was there. Now, just quickly, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You've been betrayed by your brothers, you've been sold into slavery, you've been falsely accused of rape, and now you're in prison. I don't know about you, but the things and the emotions that would have overcome me as I was walking down the steps to the dungeon I don't know that I would have had some spiritual response. Lord, this is in your hands. I give you control. I'm at peace. I'm not that spiritual. If I'm Joseph, this is where I'm reminding God of all the things that he's done, that I've done for him. God, those were your dreams, not mine. It's your fault that I'm here. This is where I'm trying to manipulate the circumstance to change my outcome. God, I was faithful. I worked hard. I did all these things, and this is how you repay me? This is if I'm Joseph, and I'm living for God, 
This is where I'm going, Lord, I ran away from temptation. I didn't succumb to the seduction of this woman. Everything within me says yes, but I ran. And this is how I'm repaid? God, I did all this for you, seriously. This is what I'm ending up with. But you don't see that in Joseph's life, do you? That's not his response, that's not his attitude. It's because he lived in the truth that God was with him. Now, if you flip over to Genesis chapter 45, I, a powerful passage of scripture, but there's a lot that's changed in Joseph's life. While he's there in prison, um, there's a couple guys who have these dreams. And God gives Joseph the power to interpret those dreams. And both of the interpretations of the dreams come true. For one guy, it meant he was restored as the cupbearer to Pharaoh. The other guy, well, unfortunately, he lost his head. But that's ultimately what happened. And so Joseph's stuck there in prison, and years later, a couple years later, Pharaoh has his own dreams, and he can't figure it out. He can't interpret none of his officials, none of the, the astrologers, or anything that Pharaoh has access. Nobody, nobody can ultimately interpret those dreams until the cupbearer says, hey, Pharaoh, there's this guy I met in prison named Joseph who interpreted my dreams, and it came true. So Pharaoh goes, and he gets Joseph out of prison, and Joseph, God gives him the ability to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. His dream was this, was that there was gonna be seven years of prosperity, that the harvest, and the, there's gonna be plentiful food, that they're gonna be a very prosperous nation in these seven years, and then that's gonna be followed by seven years of famine. That there's gonna be seven years where there's no plow, no harvest is gonna happen. And Joseph gives a suggestion to Pharaoh. He says, hey, in those seven years of prosperity, um, why don't we just build some barns and save up what we have so that way when we have seven years of, of without, that we can take care of ourselves. Pharaoh loves that response so much that he puts Joseph in, in charge, second in command of all of Egypt. Talk about a roller coaster. He goes from being in prison and forgotten, falsely accused, to now he's second in charge of all of Egypt. And he's given the power and the authority to enact his plan to store up seven years. And that's exactly what he does. So he takes seven years of prosperity and he builds these houses and these storehouses and the barns and he saves the food. And in the seven years, the famine hits. People are coming to Egypt to buy, spend all their money. They trade their land, their livestock, just so that they can have enough food. They get so bad that the famine extends past Egypt into, the, into foreign lands and all these foreigners start showing up, buying food. And then one day, some people Joseph recognized show up to buy food and it's his brother's. Joseph plays a few games with his brothers before he finally reveals his identity. Genesis chapter 45, starting in verse four, this is Joseph revealing his identity. He says, so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please, and they came near. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and yet five years in which they will neither be plowing or harvest. Verse seven, and God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. Verse eight, so it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler of the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. He reveals his identity to his brothers, the same ones 
who convinced his father that he was dead and sold him into slavery. And this very profound truth takes place. Flip over to Genesis chapter 50. Listen to how Joseph responds to his family. Verse 18, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. Do not fear. Verse 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph's response to his brothers was, hey, look, what you did against me, the evil that you committed, his response was, God was there. He was working. He was taking care of it. Joseph is a beautiful example of what it looks like to live with God and to have a certain perspective changed about him, about himself, and about other people. And so what I want to do just briefly is I want, to, I want to say, how does that apply to our lives? Because, I mean, living with God, that's a great statement, following the life of Joseph, but how does that functionally look for you and I? How do we go about our daily lives living with God? The first thing is this, is that living in the truth that God is with us, it changes the way we see him. When you look back at Joseph's life, who is with him? God, yeah, that wasn't a trick question. That was just really basic, you know? God was there every step of the way. Every step of the way, God was present in the life of Joseph. When he was in in Potiphar's house, God was there. When he was thrown in prison, God was there. When he was in second command of all of Egypt, God was there. Every step of the way. And the truth is is that God wasn't just present, but listen, God was at work using those situations. See, when we live in the truth that God is with us, no matter what we experience, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, we live in the truth that God is present, that he's there with us, that no matter what we experience, I can't promise you that 2016 is gonna be pain-free. I can't promise you that you're gonna walk through this next year without some major tragedy and difficulty in your life. I can't make that promise. But the one thing that I can tell you with the confidence from God's truth and from personal experience is that no matter what you go through, he's right there with you. And to take that a step further, it's not that he's just there, but he's at work. He's using that. So what that means for us, listen, what that means, God doesn't waste a hurt. He doesn't waste pain. There's purpose in every painful circumstance and situation you've experienced in this last year. That no matter what you go through in this upcoming year, no matter what you experience, he is there with you and he is at work. And so when I see that, guess what I see? I see my perspective of God changes. He doesn't leave me. Because if we're, if we're honest with ourselves in, in difficulties, we're going, hey God, where are you? Why aren't you there? We're frustrated and we're angry because he's not changing our circumstances. He's not getting us out of this mess. And he wants us to understand he is right there. He's present. And when we see that, we see that he's at work. We see that he's there. There's purpose in our pain. So how, how do we see God? What's the practical step? How do we see him? One word. Look for him. Okay, that was two. Sorry, I'm from Texas. Look. Just look. 
The problem is most of us, we're so blinded by our emotions. The emotions blind us from what we know to be true. We're in so much pain and so much hurt that we can't even see that God is present. I'll be honest, my heart, I don't trust it all the time. It leads me astray. It's very selfish. Our emotions blind us from what we know to be true. And so we've got to start looking for him. Look for him in every and all circumstances. The moment you wake up, the moment you, you go to work, look for him in your job, look for him in your relationships, look for him at every step of the way. And I can tell you this, he's done a really good job of describing who he is right here in his word. And the more that we know how he's described himself here, the easier it is for us to see him out there. So maybe in this coming year, looking for God in all and any circumstance may just start by digging into who he says he is so that you can easily see him in all of your circumstance. Your perspective of God changes when you live in the truth that he's there. Joseph lived with him. He lived in that truth. And so he never got angry at God. You never see him getting bitter at God. He simply trusted that God was there and was using those circumstances. As your perspective about God changes, guess what else changes? The way you see yourself. When Joseph was in Potiphar's house, what happened? You know, think back, God blessed him. He was put in charge of the entire house. When Joseph was in prison, what happened to Joseph? He was put in charge. When he interpreted the dreams, guess what, he was, guess what happened? He was put in charge. At every step of the way, he lived with God and God blessed him and put him in charge. We have a tendency in the good times of life when things are going smooth, because a lot of you, you haven't experienced tragedy or pain and hurt. It's been a pretty, yeah, pretty good year. And you're thinking this next year is gonna be even better. It's so easy for us to take credit in the good times. And in the bad times, we just blame God and shake our fist. When we live with him, it changes the way we see ourselves. When we live with him, when he's right there, how in the world do we take credit for something if we truly believe that he's at work in front of us? We can't. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. You don't see anywhere in scripture with Joseph's life that he was trying to take credit for the situations, do you? I told you at the beginning, I'm not very good at this. I wrestle with this because I want the applause, I want the appreciation. I want to find my worth and my significance, my value in the accomplishments and the things that I do. I want that pat on the back. That's not living with God. See, when I live with God, it changes the way I see myself. It changes the way I, I don't take credit for things. I find my worth and my significance from Him. And that's exactly, if you missed last week, Pastor Brad gave this phenomenal talk on about worship and how we find our worth, our value, and our significance in the creator who ascribes it to us, who gives it to us. We don't find it in our accomplishments. I encourage you, if you missed last week, go back and watch. Go to northridgechurch.com, log on, and find that talk from Brad. And listen to it, even if you were here, listen to it in light of this truth that we are to live with God because it changes the way we see ourselves. We don't take credit for ourselves. When, when the, our perspective of ourself changes, we don't take any credit because it all belongs to him. We know that he's in front of us. We know that he's working. And lastly, it changes, when we live in this truth, it changes our perspective of God. It changes our perspective of ourselves, but it changes our perspective of other people as well. See, when you see, when you look back at the life of Joseph, when you look back at his life, 
he was wronged by many, many people, was he not? I mean, his brothers and his family betrayed him. He did the right thing and was falsely accused and ended up in prison. I mean, these aren't wrongs done to Joseph that were like, hey man, you stole my beef jerky. Um, that wasn't cool. These wrongs ended him up as a prisoner, as a slave. And I know for a lot of us, our heart's reaction, if those people, we've all been hurt by people, if those people were to walk in, most of us, we just need a good throat punch. That's how we would handle the situation. Am I right? Some of you are walking into 2016 with a list of people you want to throat punch right now. I know it. You've been hurt. You're angry. You're frustrated. And I'd like to promise you that 2016, you won't have more betrayal. I would like to promise you that you won't experience more pain and difficulty because people uh, won't hurt you. I can't make that promise. I can't. But what I know to be true is that if you live in the truth that God is with you, then it changes how you respond to them. Throat punch is not an acceptable response. Joseph, do you remember what Joseph said in Genesis 45? Remember what he said? He said that God sent me before you. God sent me here. What you meant for evil, he meant for good. So every single day, when we live in the truth that God is with us, when we live in that truth, we have the ability to respond with forgiveness. Because the reality is this, listen to me, the reality is this, is that in order for God to live with us, the only way that is possible is because we've accepted and surrendered to him and he's offered us forgiveness. We live in the shadow of the cross, which is the perfect uh, display of unconditional love and unconditional forgiveness. We live in the shadow of that cross. Every single day we walk with God is because we've been forgiven by him. We didn't earn it and we don't deserve it. So how in the world do we go through life? How do we walk through life when someone hurts us and we've been forgiven by God every single day, we've been forgiven, and someone hurts us, how do we demand and expect that they work to earn our forgiveness? How do we do that? How do we put that on them? We can't. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. The way we see other people, it changes us when we live in the truth that God is with us. Every single step of the way in Joseph's life, he lived in the truth that God was there. You can set all the New Year's resolutions you want. You can cut out all the fried foods in your diet. You may get a better six-pack. You may have better healthy eating habits. But none of that changes you at the core of who you are. The truth is this, is that living with God, that changes you. It changes everything. It changes the way you see him. It changes the way you see yourself. It changes the way you see other people. And that all begins with a relationship with him. That begins with forgiveness that he offers us. The promises that he is there, that he'll never leave you or forsake you. The promise that nothing can separate you from his love. The promise that he is going to take you and adopt you into his family. All of that begins the moment you surrender control of your life to him. When you give up. You can try to change all kinds of behaviors and attitudes. You can tweak and change. But at the core of who you are, nothing changes until you surrender to the creator who has the power to change. And if you're here this morning, you have, keep your resolutions. 
Keep the goals that you set, but make the greatest decision of 2016 and surrender your heart and your life to Jesus, who has the power to change you at the core of who you are. In just a moment, I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna challenge, I'm gonna encourage you to make that decision, to surrender the, who you are, the control of your life, to Jesus Christ. Begin this year off stepping into a relationship, doing life with him. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you. Lord, and we are so thankful. God, we're so thankful that you invite us to do life with you. You're not some distant, far-out God that, that we can't know personally, but Lord, you are there and you're present with us. And you invite us in. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I know that there's many of you here this morning who simply need to surrender your life, accept that forgiveness, and step into a relationship with Christ, to live with him. What I want you to do right now in this moment, I simply want you to cry out into your heart. God, I know that I'm broken, I know that I'm messed up. God, I know that I don't have the power within me to change my heart, who I truly am. I, only you can, God. But I believe that your son, Jesus, gave his life on the cross so that I could have a relationship with you so that you can change me. So Lord, in this moment, I hand you my life. I hand you control. You are my Lord, you're my Savior. With heads bowed and eyes closed. I know many of us, we're Christ followers, but if we're truly honest with ourselves, we don't necessarily live every single day with him. We have a tendency to live for him. I wanna challenge you right where you're at. Just say, God, help me see you. I know you're there, but help me see you. God, help me worship you every single day. Not just in the good times, not in just the bad times, but in the normal routine of life, help me worship you. Right where you're at, God, help me choose to forgive when I'm hurt. Father, we're so thankful that you love us exactly where you're at. You love us where we are. But God, I'm also thankful that you love us too much to leave us there. So we give you control of our lives, God, to change us, to shape us, to mold us. And we'll give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Before we end in this song, uh, some of you this morning, I know, you prayed and surrendered your heart and your life to Christ. You, you gave up control of trying to change who you are because you know at the end, at the core, you don't have the power. And if you made that decision, I want to... This is our worship program. Take that connection card. Take that connection card, fill that out, and at the bottom mark that you receive Christ for the first time. See, it's one thing, it's that, that's your decision to make, but as a faith family, it's our job to come alongside you and walk with you and help you in this journey. You're never meant to do that alone. God's with you, so are we as a faith family. This is our way of connecting with you so that we can help, we can be there as an encouragement. I pray that we live every single day of 2016 in the truth that God is with us. Because if we do, it changes everything.
If you're at one of our regionals right now, I ask you to stand. If you're here in Plymouth, please stand, and we're gonna finish this service out in worship. God is with us. We're just gonna leave out of here declaring how great he is, declaring how strong he is. And if you know it, sing along with us. Water you've turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no
Thank you for worshiping with us. Have a great week.